All right, everybody, welcome back in to your Coastal Elites podcast, one of many in the College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast network here. I encourage you guys uh, to check all of these podcasts out. We got something for you just about every single day uh, of the week. And look, we're, we're fully in the throes of the season now. We've got at least a little bit of data on every single team in the ACC now uh, against at least somebody decent, something that can give you something of a barometer of every team. And I think it's fair to say that after looking shaky week zero in week one, where uh, North Carolina barely escaped against Florida A&M, where NC State barely escaped against East Carolina, where North Carolina played one of the craziest games of the year against App State, with uh, with Virginia Tech losing uh, at home early in the season, uh, these you know, to a, to a group of five teams, it was not, it looked a little weird. It looked a little shaky. It looked a little iffy at first. Uh, but I think it's fair to say there's been a nice little rebound. Louisville looked bad in the opener against Syracuse. Rebounds with a good win at home or on the road at, at UCF. Florida State uh, beats LSU. And Mike Norvell certainly looks to be on a lot firmer footing uh, there. And some of the new hires, some of the new coaching hires, doing great jobs, either a head coach or assistant coach, uh, guys. It's just been uh, a fantastic uh, rebound, I think, and a pretty impressive turnaround in a couple of those places uh, as well. We'll get into what is a pretty thin slate of ACC games this week. You've got a lot uh, of pretty lopsided games, games that ACC teams should win, but some interesting matchups, I think, at the top. Uh, and so I think after this week, the season really starts to take shape. We're going to have a real idea which teams that needed to show improvement are actually going to going to bank that improvement, display it for everybody. Uh, which teams who desperately need to make a bowl for their coach uh, are going to even, I think, probably have like a reasonable chance to do that. Uh, is there even another playoff team besides Clemson? And is Clemson even one of those playoff teams? I think we're going to start to have a sense for where things are beginning uh, this week and really beginning Friday night with Louisville hosting Florida State. Florida State 2-0. and They played in week zero. They beat LSU in week one and look better. Mike Norvell seems to be showing progress there, in particular with the play of Jordan Travis, a guy who I think that they were almost reticent to throw the ball with prior to this season, uh, has remained, you know, a running threat. Uh, but now I think really threw the ball better than perhaps he has his entire career in that win against LSU where they were able to hold on uh, and win on the last play of the game by blocking an extra point that would have sent them to overtime. Florida State's done well in the portal. They have addressed and shored up, I think, some needs uh, all in multiple places on the field in the transfer portal, a wide receiver, a defensive back, defensive line, you know, uh, edge rushers and that sort of thing. And it looks to be a lot better team, a lot uh, more improved team from a year ago. Uh, coming home or going on the road to face Louisville, who comes home after winning at UCF. Now, Louisville's had two completely different weeks of the season. Looked absolutely uh, lifeless in the opener in that loss at Syracuse. I mean, just looked like they had nothing in them. Nothing in the tank, nothing. And then I, you know, I think conventional wisdom about a uh, touchdown underdog on the road at UCF and down 14-7 early in the second quarter. UCF, that stadium was rocking. 
Uh, and it really looked like, well, you could see this thing really snowballing out of hand for Scott Satterfield. And he's really running out of opportunities, I think, to make this team look like it's going somewhere. Uh, and instead, Louisville sort of threw caution to the wind after that, blitzed just about every single play of the rest of the game against Central Florida, dared John Rice Pumley to beat them throwing the ball, and it turns out he couldn't. And now they're going to come home for the first home game of the year for Louisville. It should be a raucous environment. Local reports here. Uh, for those of you who are listening, I do um, afternoon drive radio uh, here in Louisville. Uh, this is the biggest home game in a long time uh, for Louisville, and it should be a raucous uh, environment for this one in a game with, with a lot of parallels between the two teams. Coaches needing to show improvement. Coaches with middling results. Uh, experienced quarterbacks who are really better athletes than they are passers. Uh, who's going to win a battle of, uh, of quarterbacks who need to make throws to win the game? I think both teams will prefer to run the ball, will try to run the ball before asking either one of those guys to air it out. And it's a, it's a game on a schedule where both of them really need this because the schedules get a whole lot harder for both teams uh, in the second half of the season. And you've got to get ahead of the curve, I think, if you're either one of them uh, to win this one. It's been somewhat, somewhat lopsided for Louisville the last couple of years. Really, from 2016 forward, Louisville's really had... Uh, the, the better end of this, and the really lopsided ones have come for Louisville. Two years ago, in, you know, in the COVID year, Louisville really uh, destroyed uh, Florida State. They looked completely lackluster, and it was uh, one of the better performances of the year. And Louisville did similar things in the first half last year, only to have Florida State come back and play almost the identical game in their favor in the second half, and Louisville was lucky to escape with that one. So th this is going to be as 50-50 a matchup, I've seen virtually everybody, Florida State favored by about a point, point and a half on the road. Virtually everyone that I trust gambling-wise says, I'm staying away. It just seems far too coin flippy. Uh, and both teams in particular on their offense is really reliant on what those quarterbacks can do. Uh, I think I heard Kelly Gramlich and Eric McLean on their podcast point out a stat, and I want to give them their credit for this, that on 11 third-down conversions this year, I do believe Florida State has relied on Jordan Travis for 10 of those. He's been responsible for 10 of those. And Louisville relies on Malik Cunningham and its offense almost exactly uh, the same way. Which one of those guys can sort of handle this environment, can handle a moment like this, uh, will really sort of set the, the stage for the rest of the season for the winner of this game and then really put – an enormous amount of pressure on the on the loser to come up with six or seven wins the rest of the way, especially Louisville if they drop to one and two. And look, Louisville's really, in its program history, Louisville has always benefited uh, from making the most of these uh, weeknight games with a national TV audience It's a, and really took off against Florida State 20 years ago in 2002 in the driving rain when they won uh, that game really sort of introduced themselves, I think, nationally in Cardinal Stadium to, to everybody with that win. Uh, and they need something like that now. And if they do, you know, getting off to a 4-1, and 5-1 and one start is not crazy for Louisville. And all of a sudden, the, the vibe around here changes dramatically. So a chance tonight should be a great game. If I was a gambler at all, I, I would say this game screams under. You're looking at 56, 57, I think, in most places. Both teams prefer to run the ball. Uh, a big difference for Louisville in this one versus other years 
Uh, in the Satterfield years, they have had Tutu Atwell or last year Tyler Harrell, guys who could absolutely fly. I mean, with world-class track speed getting down the field against Florida State. They don't have that this year, or at least it has not emerged as of yet. Uh, and Florida State's got better receivers than I think they've probably had in years, but I don't think that they would tell you that they've got a burner either. They've got big physical guys that they trust, but the big plays through the passing game have not been there really for either team. And so I, I, if I was a gambler, I would take this one, uh, play the under on this one, as both teams I think are going to want to try to run uh, the ball. Texas Tech is on the road at NC State. NC State about a 10-point favorite. NC State looked downright human uh, and was nothing short of lucky to escape in the opener against East Carolina, but rebounded quite nicely uh, from there. They enter the game 2-0. and Look, Texas Tech has had a nice year. Uh, they have played far better football uh, than they've played in years. They enter the game at 2-0 uh, at with a win over Houston, uh, and they dominated in, uh, Murray State in the opener 63-10 to and have looked improved over a year ago. Donovan Smith uh, is a weapon at quarterback. They've got weapons. Look, this should be a fun, fun game to watch, uh, and it's a chance for NC State, I think, to be at home against a quality opponent. A, a, a night crowd at Carter-Finley, which is a great venue and a great environment for, for people on TV to watch a game. should be a lot of fun uh, for everyone uh, in this one. You know, my thought about Texas Tech is, while I totally agree that they are improved, you wonder about expending yourself in overtime to beat Houston you know, in a game that really meant a lot, I think, to both teams, and then going on the road for a night environment. Uh, with NC State coming in, I think, feeling confident after the how they played uh, in week two. The pieces are there for NC State to, to get off to a 3-0 and start uh, on the schedule here uh, for this year and to sort of look more like that team that people were saying, hey, this, is, this one's going to be different. Devin Leary's experience and Dave Doran, like this, they're fully grown. They're going to be in great shape uh, this year. And it, did, it sure did not look like it in the opener against East Carolina, where in particular struggles in the red zone uh, for for NC State. I don't – I think they looked better, exercised some of those demons, and it's hard for people outside the region to explain just how emotionally bought in East Carolina was to that game. I don't think there will be that kind of vibe uh, in this one, that kind of emotional environment this one with NC State at home, and I think that they will take care uh, of business in that one, and I – I think they'll cover the 10. I think they'll control that one. And then the most interesting game of the weekend to me, Miami on the road at Texas A&M. Texas A&M now very famously coming off of a loss at home to App State in which uh, App State was able to control the ball for 40 minutes of, of clock time in the game completely uh, dominated the time of possession, stayed on the field as an offense, uh, and give App State credit. They, they have parlayed this into a, a hosting college game day this coming Saturday against Troy. Uh, and a after going on the road, or excuse me, after hosting uh, North Carolina and losing the maybe the craziest college football game I've ever seen, 63-61, uh, and scoring 40 points in the fourth quarter and not winning uh, the game. Uh, they, they beat Texas A&M in a completely different kind of game, a low-scoring slugfest. And now A&M and Jimbo Fisher feeling all the pressure in the world uh, for this one. 
uh, now going to make a quarterback change. If you're listening to this here, uh, Friday morning announced, uh, it looks like, it, or Billy Laucci and others saying, it looks like it will be uh, the son of uh, former Buccaneer great Brad Johnson going to be the quarterback there uh, for A&M, looking to spark things. And it's the first real opportunity for Mario Cristobal in Miami, Tyler Van Dyke and that team, uh, to, to make a statement that will resonate perhaps nationally. And I know that Mario has come back to a lot of fanfare, and he has come back to some very early recruiting sets. And those guys aren't on the field, really, for this team just yet. But I want you to just ask yourself, like, when was the last time Miami went and did this? It has been an incredibly long time since Miami went on the road and won in a, in a tough environment. And just and I think you're all going to know exactly what I mean when I say this, look like Miami. By what we mean when we say Miami and talk about Miami in the world of college football. This opportunity now is there uh, before them. And it's, I think it's hard for folks who know a lot about Jimbo Fisher to, to see and believe that the guy who really had had become kind of the quarterback whisperer, getting E.J. Manuel and Christian Ponder and Jameis and these guys uh, to the NFL and drafted and, and NFL quarterbacks to just not be able to get an offense going, despite how well they have recruited at Texas A&M. Miami has every opportunity in the world to sort of announce itself as I'm not going to say back, uh, but to to say that perhaps they don't have as far to go to be back and are a lot closer than maybe people think uh, about this one. I think this is going to be a great game. Nine o'clock, Kyle Field's going to be a zoo. I, I cannot wait enough for this one. A&M, six and a half point favorites, man. I would take my, you're going to give me Miami and six and a half against a team that can't get off the field. Uh, I would be, I would take Miami in this one. I don't know that they'll necessarily win outright. I think you'll get a better effort from A&M because I think the season sort of rises or falls on this one. Uh, for them, uh, but a quarterback change, his first game against Miami. Miami's got the better quarterback. I think Miami's going to win this game, but it should be a, a, a wonderful environment. And if Miami, if NC State and Miami take care of business this weekend, all of a sudden the ACC will have beaten Central Florida, who I think will probably win the AAC. Uh, you will have beaten that App State team that I think impressed people uh, with, with North Carolina's uh, when you've got the rivalry games at the end of the year, but you will have beaten a bunch of Power Five teams and and, and quality teams outside the ACC, and it's really I beat LSU earlier in the year uh, with 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 Florida State. Wake Forest already beat Vanderbilt. Like you've got a bunch of solid wins, more solid wins uh, than you've had in a while, and certainly not getting just boat raced outside the conference like they have the last couple of years. Pitt already beat West Virginia. We'll see what that's worth by the end of the year and played Tennessee toe-to-toe. Like, the league, I think, is sort of held up after the sort of the trippy kind of uh, stumbling over their own feet start uh, to the season. I cannot wait for that one. I think it's going to be great. And then the sneaky best matchup. Uh, and this might be sort of the local angle appealing to me, perhaps just a little bit with, with Jeff Brom and what he's doing at Purdue and sort of that always being over the shoulder of people thinking about what they think about Scott Satterfield and Louisville. Uh, but Purdue on the road at Syracuse, a game where Purdue opened as a point, point-and-a-half favorite, and it has now swung to where Syracuse, favored by a point-and-a-half, maybe two in some places, at home, in the artist uh, formerly known as the Carrier Dome, uh, against Purdue. Syracuse maybe made the assistant coach hire of the offseason by bringing in Robert and I, and, and, and quarterback coach as well, uh, to sort of remake the offense in a different image to tap into what makes Garrett Schrader great and to take advantage 
of Sean Tucker as a running back. And through two games, this is a different Syracuse team. And Robert and I is rapidly sort of climbing, I think, people's uh, appreciation for offensive wizardry and flexibility, being able to sort of help turn a team into whatever works best for them. Because when they were at Virginia, uh, he didn't do this sort of thing with his offenses and Brennan Armstrong. They were wide open. Here at Syracuse, they've got the ability to run the ball, and it shows. And this should be a fantastic game. Jeff Brom's done a great job at Purdue. Uh, drop the opener, come some miscues of their own. Uh, they don't really try to run the ball, and it would be a great matchup with, with, uh, with Purdue uh, to – this 3-3-5, this really unique 3-3-5 that Syracuse runs that was completely disruptive against a really good Louisville team or a good Louisville quarterback and offense, at least uh, in the opener. Can they do something like that? And if Dino Babers gets off to a 3-0 start and he's already beaten Louisville and Purdue, there's going to be a lot of optimism there and, and a chance to have a, the kind of season that sort of stops the talk about Dino Babers in the hot seat and getting fired and all that sort of thing. I mean, there's some real opportunities here. Uh, for Syracuse to have a far better season and maybe be the surprise of the ACC so far uh, this season. Those are by far the four best games of the weekend, and I don't think you're going to be able to go wrong with any of them. I would take Syracuse in this one at home. I, I think I think what we've seen from them so far is is real. It's substantial. I don't think that it's the it's the the result of who they've played or is the product of their schedule. I think you're seeing a team that sort of knows what they are, has an identity, uh, and is making the most of every one of those uh, matchups. I, since we're talking about coaches who have made uh, a dramatic difference, uh, I don't expect North Carolina A&T at Duke to be one that's on your radar. I don't expect Duke to really be on your radar, and that's deserved. They, Duke is Duke. But through two games, I don't think there's any denying no one has made a more dramatic change in just the body language, the style, the uh, the competence, the energy, the emotional buy-in, the psychological focus, everything, uh, than what Mike Elko's done at Duke. If you watched Duke at the end of last season, for as much as everyone knows to respect the work done by David Cutcliffe, uh, and, and he deserved every ounce of that respect, they had certainly hit the end. They had run out of gas at the end uh, of his tenure there. And Mike Elko through two games, they look awesome. Now, for what they are, and it's Temple, and it's, it's, you know, it hasn't been a, a, you know, a murderer's row that they've played so far, but they didn't look like this against anybody a year ago. And to open up the season, beating Temple 30 to nothing, and to beat Northwestern, it's, it is a 180 uh, for this team. And they have what? Good teams have. They have a they have a quarterback. Riley Leonard's QBR 75.3. 568 yards to a couple of games. He has looked excellent. Uh, and it's it's hard to overstate just how different Duke looks, and I don't think they'll have any problem uh, with AT. But if you're gonna give an eye the love for as an assistant coaching hire for what it's done there, Duke making a shrewd hire with a guy who knows the ACC. Mike Elko spent time on uh, Dave Clawson's staff at Wake Forest and is one of the hot names as an assistant coach in college football, uh, spectacular job so far. And Duke maybe wasn't as bad as they appeared at the end of last year. And at 3-0 and in a Coastal that's not great, where they would still get to play both Virginia schools who have their issues, still get to play Georgia Tech, that Mike Elko might dramatically outkick his coverage uh, in year one. 
uh, and deserves, I think, some, some praise for the job that he's done there so far. Uh, not a lot left on the schedule. It's, it's, a, it's a slow week. Louisiana Tech is at Clemson uh, this week. I don't expect that to be a competitive game. Clemson, 33-point favorites. Louisiana Tech, 1-1 one one on the year. I think for the, until it changes or it's just erased from our memories by the way that he plays, by the way that he plays, we are going to talk about Clemson and DJ Uyunglele. Like, that's it. We're going to talk about him and how long can he hold off Cade Klubnick at quarterback. Uh, I will give uh, DJ credit in, in week one. Slow start. Klubnick played a little bit. and People are like, all right, I'm ready for this. And it's very easy, I think, for people to see what's happened with them so far and see the Kelly Bryant-Trevor Lawrence situation there. But DJ's playing a little bit better. I don't expect them to struggle particularly with with Louisiana Tech, but it's the kind of game where the expectation is that nobody will struggle, that you then turn around, and if he does struggle, it's the opening for people to, for for Dabo and the staff to go make a quarterback change for that life to sort of inject something into what they do offensively, and I do think it continues to be a fair criticism of Clemson and what they do offensively, that the system itself, with new guys calling plays, they were homegrown, though, so the system really should have, the continuity was, was at a premium there. They don't manhandle folks at the point of attack, and the offense sure looks a whole lot more pedestrian when they don't have future pros all over the wide receiver position. When it's T. Higgins and Justin Ross and these guys, like, it's Amari Rogers, like, there's, it's easy to, to make that offense go. Almost any coordinator can make it go, but they don't have that right now. Or at least those guys haven't shown that sort of thing yet. And so the offense is defendable. I don't expect Louisiana Tech to be an issue for Clemson uh, at all. But this is one of those weeks overall in the schedule where I feel like when we start talking about, like, it's a thin week, there aren't that many games that are no blah, 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 that that's when stuff blows up. And if DJ sort of has one of these DJ games where he does not look particularly good and there's an opening for Cade Klubnik, they're going to make the change. Like Dabo has shown himself, I think, not afraid to make that change. Uh, and this is the sort of game where the expectation is going to be to be efficient, to be sharp, to be dominant. And if he's not, they're going to make that move, and people are going to be watching it. Pittsburgh, one of the weird road group of five games on the road at Western Michigan. They lost to Western Michigan when they played the game at home. Uh, in the past, coming off a heartbreaker in overtime to Tennessee, I think it's fair to say so far with Pittsburgh, the offense and what Pat Narduzzi wanted to do without Kenny Pickett, without Jordan Addison, uh, Keaton Slovis, Frank Signetti Jr., uh, calling the plays for that offense, they, they look good again. And this Pitt team could win the Coastal again. They look really, really good. Uh, and Pat's got a an established culture and an established program there. Uh, it was a coin flip game with Tennessee a week ago. I don't think that there's really much to, to take away from that that was negative other than you weren't able to, to close it out uh, at home. And, and playing – I mean, if, if Keaton Slovis finishes that game, I think they win. But they've got a, a very physical defense. I think two games. If you watched Pitt play both games so far this year, they hit. That defense hits. They are very physical. They look just like what Pat Narduzzi wants a defense to look like. I don't think they'll struggle on the road with Western Michigan. Uh, I would lay 11 on the road uh, with that one. The rest of the games uh, in the ACC, uh, you've got Boston College 0-2, uh, maybe the biggest disappointment so far, even with Phil Dracovic back hosting Maine. They should not have any problem. Wake Forest looks fantastic with Sam Hartman back. They're home 
uh, against Liberty 2-0, but Wake Forest 16.5-point favorites. I would lay that. I think Wake Forest, with Sam Hartman back in there, can compete for the Atlantic uh, Division. Virginia coming off a game uh, where they got pushed around physically the way Brett Bielema would give anything to do to everybody in Illinois, comes home in kind of a get-right game against Old Dominion, uh, who is confident after beating Virginia Tech in the opener, losing to East Carolina last week, uh, and really struggled, I think, defensively uh, in that one. Uh, But they are on the road at Virginia. Look, this is... There aren't going to be very many games for Virginia on this schedule where they're going to be favored by eight and a half like they are uh, in this one. And they've got to get that offense going. Uh, they did not score a touchdown last week against Illinois. And this is Brennan Armstrong and that offense. We're not used to them not scoring touchdowns, but they lose 24 to three uh, and gave up 146 yards on the ground to Chase Brown for Illinois. Uh, they can't play like that and expect to be a postseason team. Uh, and this is a game where you've got to see, I think, some bounce back. And in particular, like making the most of of Brennan Armstrong while you still got him. Uh, Robert and I did not struggle uh, with anything having to do with that offense. And so I've terribly alarmed by only giving up or only scoring three points uh, against Illinois last week. They've got to get back on track. Or it's going to be a long year for them. Uh, and Tony Elliott all of a sudden is going to sort of find himself, you inherited a really good quarterback. You inherited a team that was used to going to the postseason now, uh, and if they open the year one and two, it'd be rough. And this is an, uh, uh, an old Dominion team not going to be intimidated by them who would love, in much the same way that App State would have loved, in much the same way that East Carolina would have loved, to be the group of five team that takes down Virginia Tech and Virginia in the same year. They'll, they'll invent a rivalry trophy. With the other two, to, they they will be state champs, uh, posters and billboards purchased all over the state if they're able to pull that one uh, off. So Virginia better be ready for this one. Uh, it feels like we might be circling the drain for the Jeff Collins era at Georgia Tech. Uh, look, defensively, I thought they more than held their own with Clemson for a long time in that opener. Uh, but they end up losing the game 41-10. to They beat West Carolina last week 35-17. Just sort of pretty ho-hum, you know, I think. Uh, for them, but listen to this schedule for Georgia Tech. They get number 20 Ole Miss at home, but Ole Miss, then they are at Central Florida, at Pitt, home for Duke, who looks a lot better, home for Virginia, who's Midland, but then it's Florida State, Virginia Tech, Miami, North Carolina, Georgia to end the year. It is entirely conceivable that this Georgia Tech team is staring down 2-10, and 3-9, in which case I think it's hard to imagine that we're not moving on here uh, from Jeff Collins after this year in one of the sneaky, toughest jobs in college football because the expectations being in Georgia and being in Atlanta is that you should just be able to sort of open the doors and, and 25 you know, pretty solid college football players are going to slide through your doors there, but Georgia Tech's a tough place. It's a unique place. Uh, and so far, Jeff Collins, for all of, I think, the sort of hope that he would be able to do that, has not been able to do that. And if the bottom falls out and you get a year like that, uh, it's going to be a long year. And Ole Miss, I think, is going to have a chance to sort of get that offense going. They've not been like they were a year ago uh, with with Matt Corral in that offense. It hasn't been like that uh, for for Ole Miss at all. Uh, but they are 2-0 and while they work through their issues, which is always the dream, right? 
to to, to win. They went twenty eight to ten over Troy in the opener. Troy going to be on the road at App State this weekend. Fifty nine to three over Central Arkansas. They got a couple of games here. You're at Georgia Tech, and then uh, Ole Miss has Tulsa. They're going to be four and zero. Have a chance to get that offense uh, going here. So it could be setting up for sort of a long day uh, for Georgia Tech, and it could be a long year for Georgia Tech. All right, that's going to do it for us here. Uh, a quick one on kind of a slow week for college football in the ACC. Uh, but this is your Coastal Elites podcast. Love doing this. Uh, we weren't able to do last week. We're going back on it. Settled. You'll be able to get this every Friday uh, to send you off into your weekend as part of your College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast network. And we will talk to you guys next week.